Hi, I'm Danny Belvin. And I'm Danica Brown. And we are biracial unicorns. And some of y'all don't understand the pressures of carrying around a floppy disk. Yeah, some of you don't even know that that save icon is a floppy disk. <laughs> you don't know what that is, and that's okay. I'm glad that you don't have to go through that. Uh, and then if you, like, moved the thing and erased <sighs> it. Uh-huh. No. That is so stressful. <laughs> I, I think the fact that like, I cannot tell you how many floppy disks I have cracked in my backpack mm. and it's caused me so much stress or it was by a magnet. I was never more hyper aware of magnetism than like when you have a floppy disk somewhere and you have all your papers and stuff like that on there. It is so stressful. It was really stressful. And especially because I remember like I did not have a very good computer at mm. home like my computer was like from like 1993 and it was like 2001 <laughs> <laughs> like because like my first computer we bought used and it was old when we got it mm. and so i remember like there were times where it's like well the word processor i have <laughs> doesn't work well <laughs> so this is something i'm gonna only be able to type at school if that disc got erased mm -hmm. there was nothing to be done nope nope you just had to deal with it for me i always had the wrong size by the time i would <sighs> get like the right because there would be like there's like a for for you all who are young you have different sizes of this plastic material flimsy I, the, the name floppy that held all this important information now that you all would keep in your cute little thumb drives that you could have in shaped of uh, Pokemon characters. It was all shaped in this very flimsy plastic and they had different sizes depending on, you know, computer and age. And I would somehow always have the wrong size. And then there was like the zip drives. All the things. <sighs> so, yep, that that is a pressure that some of y'all just don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> and i'm thankful for it i'm glad i'm really there's a lot of things that like i'm so glad that people like my child's not gonna have to ever hear like hear the word floppy in class mm. and not have to keep the laughter to herself uh speaking of pressure poor february like how much <laughs> pressure february is under to contain yes. all of black history Mm -hmm. In just 28 days. That's that's a lot of pressure. And can you think about it? It used to be just a week. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. true. I used to have to do it in just one week. And I think some people, I, I know I have a gripe of being like, of course, it's the shortest month. But then I have to be like, well, it used to be a singular week in a year. So yeah. I guess I have to be thankful for those scraps. I mean, at least it's a calendar month. Hispanic Heritage Month is like half of one month and half of another <laughs> thank you for saying that because i felt that got to be at one point i was like but wait i thought it was the same but now i'm but because I, I think is that the same month that overlaps with mental health oh who knows girl i'm over these <laughs> these months i i do and like I, I try not to be jealous that it's also like the time of year is not great either because like gay pride is like in the summer and the sunshine and i'm like they did it right they did they, they called did it. it though they sure did they're all dibs because <laughs> no one's having a parade for black history in february and t wear girl <laughs> yeah well i that might be a blessing <laughs> We'll say we'll save that for a little later, but I'm just thinking about these ways to celebrate Black History. Ooh, it may be a blessing. <laughs> There's not parades. There's a so as Danny so beautifully segued into it. If you have been listening to the show for any length of time, you know during this time of year we always have all the mixed feelings when it comes to the celebration of Black mm. History Month. Mm. It's true. It and so and true. really, like any of these ethnic or racial mm -hmm. minority months, we have so many, so many mixed feelings and reservations and thoughts mm -hmm. <laughs> about them. Yeah. So today we're just going to spend a little bit of time kind of unpacking how we, we feel and also applying our first ever toolkit that I hope you've listened to on our Instagram or a bonus sode and see how that can be applied to what we're talking about today. So not only are we going to be sharing our feelings, we're going to see how we can combat this or work through this with everybody. Mm. Yes. First, 
Damika, <laughs> why? Why is limiting Black history to just 28 days problematic? <laughs> you know, even as a young person, I have always felt that limiting Black history to this, this month really continues the doctrinization of the separate but equal. I have always had it had that strong, strong, separate but equal vibe to where it not only was it pigeonholed by time, but pigeonholed by content as well. Mm. I've always really, really struggled with the fact that we don't really see it as part of the timeline of American history. And because of that, we don't see how it plays out in its totality. Yes, yes. People's timelines get really mixed up when we continue to see, hey, let's pause our history lesson. Let's focus on Black history. These very few figures that we ever get to focus on, Martin Luther King, uh, Rosa Parks, Malcolm X, let's let's colonize it. Let's kind of whitewash it. Let's, let's bring it down a little bit, squeeze it in here, and then we can kind of move on. And it feels very checklist oh we've done that and it never really implies itself to the rest of the timeline in history Mm. so there there are several things in there that has always put a really bad taste in my mouth yeah i think there are a lot of examples of these things but the first one that came to mind when you said that people's timelines are all mixed up (laughs) is there has been this memeing of mlk martin luther king jr last month was his holiday in mm-hmm. January. And so there was all sorts of MLK Jr. memes going around. And one that I saw was people pointing out that Betty White is actually older than him. Like she was born before him. And mm-hmm. everyone's mind was like, whoa. Yeah. And it's like, really? <laughs> really? You're you're surprised about that? I know, because people's timelines are messed up, but they also forget, you know, of course you don't understand that he was murdered. And so had he been alive, you know? Right. People know the civil rights movement, but I think because it is all grouped together, Mm -hmm. people kind of are just like direct line from slavery to civil rights. And they just Mm -hmm. think it's all ancient history. Exactly. Well, girl, I don't know about you. It's been a long time since I've been in school, but I don't know if you've ever had this inclination, especially with documentaries and history books. They'd be putting Mm. some of that stuff in black and white. Mm -hmm. A lot of things that could possibly be in color and grainy footage. I remember seeing one photo from a boycott and they did it in color because they said it was actually printed originally in color. And there's something about that vibrancy and seeing that of like, oh, that wasn't that long ago. I think something clicks to us even visually of black black and white oh that's old but even so i took a i was reading to my daughter and she was watching this show about you know figures and they had george washington carver and i had to stop it because they're like oh he's the guy who created peanut butter i'm like first right false like (laughs) incas had peanut paste like come on he did not invent it per se but he had a lot of influence he had a lot about sustainable living and agriculture and farming and he did use it for like 300 other projects but also for him is that this person this man actually spoke in front of congress in 1921 that's not something a black person got to do and talk about sustainable living and what you can do for peanuts. And it actually went really well. And they listened to him. The same thing that also happened that year was the Tulsa riots, like the slaughter that happened there with Black Wall Street. Uh-huh. But once again, when we only get black history in these little tiny snippets, we never get to see the influence of how it is done without our whole history. And we never see the full impact it has and when you have that of course i think that disrupts our empathy relatability and full understanding of the impact people of color have had on our everyday life from technology to fashion to how we just live our everyday lives to food everything and so there's still going to be the separation and of how we view people of color in our everyday lives yeah i think there is In particular with history, for some reason, there is a lot of compartmentalization that Mm. happens. And so I've been thinking a lot about that. And last fall, I read Ibram X. Kendi's book, Stamped from the Beginning, Mm. which I, I talked about on our Instagram page. But it's the subtitle of the book is The Definitive History of Racist Ideas in America. Mm-hmm. And so what I think the book does really well is puts racist ideas 
things that we have learned about history in school, like the founding fathers and the presidents and all of that, Black history, other racial history, like it puts them all together and puts them side by side in a chronological order. Yeah. So I think that that is a really excellent read. I think it's a really, really good read, particularly for this month. I didn't recommend it for our toolkit because I know it's very, very long. <laughs> so I know it's probably not accessible to some people to finish within a month, it turns out. It is, I have it right here in front of me. It is 582 pages. Yeah. So it's it's not a quick read. I think that is a good place to start um, putting putting things in chronological order, not separate from each other. Mm. And see how that makes you view history in itself. Yeah. I, I yeah. would really like to see what that does for people. I, I love following people who talk about, did you know that this person also lived at the same time as that person? And, you know, the bicycle had not even been invented. It's just something about that. When you bring it in its fullness, it, it can't help but have an impact on how you look at everyday life. So, yeah. Timelines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, human beings are notoriously myopic. So I think it's really hard sometimes because... If it's outside of your own lifetime or your own memory, you're like, that's ancient history. <laughs> I don't know. It happened before I was born. <laughs> so <laughs> let's push back on that a little if we can. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and it, it, I don't want to say it takes very little, but I think it's just that practice of unlearning and relearning. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My other thought about that, both along the lines of learning and unlearning and the dangers of compartmentalization is something that I've been really thinking a lot about recently. I'm reading this book called The Making of Asian American, and it's a history of Asian Americans and people of Asian descent in the Americas. And it's really been making me think a lot about this, this huge gap. And this was a big point of conversation, I think, last summer between Black people and Asian Americans within the U.S., Mm. right? And I think it is very much this artificially created gap. And it it was actually brought up in a really beautiful way in this young adult book I read last year. But it's like an intentional move to separate these two so that they're is not intersectional work to change racist thought in the country, right? So that's like part of this reason why Asians have been held up as this model minority, right? Is to distance them from Black people so that they don't recognize their plight in other people and work together to overturn racist systems. And if you look at a lot of the history, it's it's so similar. Like Mm. straight up Asian people being brought to the U.S., as slaves when slavery was no longer allowed, you know, like, especially if you look at the the history of plantations in Hawaii, mm. in particular, but pretty much any farming operation on the West Coast, right? So like, there is so much history, but we never see it because we've compartmentalized these things. And because we have a Black History Month, and we have like an Asian <laughs> History Month, you know? Exactly. And I think that's why I want to make sure I make myself very clear. I have no problem with celebrating, recognizing, amplifing, emphasizing, you know, Black history or any minority group's history. I think it is important to have a highlight, but when we put it within the confounds of a time restraint, it's so important for people to know their history. But you're right, there is that power of only giving segmented history to everyone. Mm-hmm. It does keep it. I mean, we have the same problem with within the Black community, with the Latinx community. If we keep them kind of at odds, if we keep them from understanding how much they have in common, that makes it safer for the ultimate power. You know, yeah. that, yeah, that yeah. makes it, there's a safety in making sure that these things stay separate. There is another big issue I take with these sort of let's celebrate this history this month movements are it allows people to kind of just try it on for a mm. month or it's it makes it and I 
just brought this up in the the bonus so <laughs> that we released, but I think there's this idea that it's like, well, I celebrate Black history in February, and then I'm done. It's the same attitude of the people who posted their black squares on Instagram in support of Black Lives Matter. Like, mm. they post a black square, and then they're done. And I, I just have such a problem with that. Mm. Well, it's irresponsible consumption, isn't it? Mm. During this month, you gorge and consume during this time and then after that you're 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 done and there's no give back there's no back and forth there's not discussing what you found there's no now that you know this history what are you going to do with it how are mm-hmm. you going to share it how are you going to highlight it how are you unlearning and relearning there, there's none of that there's no putting it into practice for the rest of of the year or your life and it's just a one-way consumption you watch a couple of movies you might even have a couple of breakthroughs you might have a couple of tears you might recommend a book and then it's just it's it's done and that's there's no real change you're just consuming at that point Yes. And to put on my educator cap for a second, (laughs) it really makes me think a lot of this phenomenon within education that is called the summer slide. And so this idea is like over the summer and a long summer break, students lose a lot of learning because they are no longer in practice of using that learning or learning or or doing work or you know being engaged in that way. And so I think with Black History Month in many ways we have a whole society that's having an 11 month summer slide <laughs> in their knowledge and understanding of Black history. Mm. Oh that is so good. Yes, that is so so good. Oh into it. I, I I completely agree. It just makes you quite lethargic in the practice of looking for a history outside of your own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The truth of the matter is, I'm not Black, but Black history is still mm-hmm. important to me and exactly. it still impacts my life because I live in this country mm-hmm. and I am from this country. And this country was built by Black people. Mm-hmm. It's part of who we all are. Mm. Well, that's why there's been a big... I have been feeling the push to make Black history. It is American history. Mm-hmm. And not even limiting to that, just realizing what people of color have done for world history in itself. Yes. And I think right. that I, I love that pushback of just saying not just for America, but for the world. And I do love that, especially especially American history. If we even go back to where the land that you even have your house on, who that belongs to, things that affect your life on the daily, who had influence over that. It's to be an American, to be a citizen, ish to under it should should be in a place where you recognize where you really come from and how you got to where you are today. And I don't think you can do that in segments. I don't think you can do that with just 28 days or, you know, two weeks out of this month and two weeks out of another. You you you, you can't have a good idea of what that looks like. And because yeah. it, and there's also this other effect of because it's such a short amount of time and because it's so highlight, you, we it does become quite particular about what gets put in there, mm. what we shared beforehand. Mm-hmm. Do you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? It gets, yes. As we've talked about before, the effect of when you only have a limited resource, time, and highlight, how do you decide what goes in there? And when you have a marginalized group that is only given so much, it comes a prioritization of what's there. And of course, we've talked about the issues of that, who gets who gets to take up that space, right? And because of that, I think we have excluded a lot within Black history and we start categorizing. So we've already experienced things like colorism and sexism. We've also had things like the exclusion of Afro-Latinx community, the LGBTQIA community within that. And so we've had to see things like homophobia, transphobia, play itself out within the black history that we actually get to 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 show to the world there's only certain figures i get to do that and it's it's ugly it's it's not the best <laughs> you know it's it's who gets to have that seat and who gets to be highlighted and who gets to make those decisions right and it's not even just based off of ethnicity or race or sexual orientation or sexual identity, I think there was a lot of editing that went into it already. 
Mm-hmm. Rosa Parks, for uh, example, mm-hmm. right? Like Rosa Parks, somebody everyone knows. Everyone knows the story of Rosa Parks. But like she wasn't the first one, <laughs> you know, and uh, what and see like and I'm so guilty. What's her name? Her last name's Colvin. I don't yeah. remember her first name, mm-hmm. but Miss Colvin, who was a teenage pregnant mother to be. Mm-hmm. Was the was like one of the first ones and could have been the symbolic start of this movement, but because she was an unwed teen mother, mm-hmm. oh, and she was skin. and darker skinned, she was undesirable <laughs> to be mm-hmm. that person. Exactly, exactly. That's what just blows my mind. Even within someone that's supposed to be celebrating culture, I mean, I was even talking about some of the original freedom fighters, how some of them were mixed people, but you hardly ever hear about that because it's on the other spectrum, right? Where where like, oh, well, they're, they're too dark, but this person wasn't quite black enough to be put on the forefront to be learned about being a freedom fighter, especially during like, the boycott era. There is this, you know, I don't know who made the rules of like, who gets to be and what's their prerequisite in order to be represented within black history. But I am seeing a breakdown of people saying, actually it belongs to this person and and really going into people who maybe didn't necessarily meet the criteria (laughs) beforehand Mm -hmm. and so I'm I am really excited about that but we still have a long way to go we do I just want to because I just looked it up I just want to shout out Claudette Colvin Sorry, sorry, Miss Colvin, for not remembering your first name. We know she's a listener. She must be a listener. She's still alive. She's 81 years old. Mm -hmm. So shout out to Miss Colvin. And we see you and we appreciate the work that you've done. And that's that is all part of it. We don't expect everyone to know everything. But it's once you learn something. You unlearn, need credit where credit is due. There's no credit taking away from from Rosa Parks, but it's one of those things of realizing what the definition of a trailblazer is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that that's just something to be mindful of. I think especially when we, I know last year I really dived into Afro-Latinas. There was this beautiful talk that they gave about trying to be included within Black History Month and just mm-hmm. some some real mindfulness. And like Danny says, like that critical thinking when going into it of like, who is this portraying? Who are we including? Is there exclusion within Black History Month? Why that is and figure out what does that look like for for it to be part of the ongoing education of Black history. Because once again, if it's ongoing, we don't have to pick and choose. We get to say this linear time of continuing that education. Yeah. On the other hand, I do want to say that on one level, I think that it's it's great that Black history is being recognized. Mm-hmm. Neither of us are <laughs> disparaging that. But I exactly. think both what both of us are asking for, even if it is just 28 days for some reason, like I would much rather see those 28 days spread out over the year, mm-hmm. you know, so that it's like it is a continual part of our lives in the way that it should be. Mm. I agree. Could we could we spend a little bit of time discussing what Black history versus Black future looks yeah, like? Yeah, I, I think my big question to you about that, I'm sure you're aware, there's been this recent push of changing Black History Month to Black Futures Month. And I was wondering what your thoughts were on that. Mm, I I love this because actually last year they were doing, or actually 2019 is the first time I really kind of heard buzz about it. I personally am for it because it's kind of like what I talked about at the top of the episode of like even the photos being in black and white and seeing as a very past tense thing. I think we have focused where we need to have focus, which is once again, if we're actually taking black history and putting it into the actual history which is it's taught alongside, so that way slavery's talked alongside the rest of American history. We, would, we wouldn't have to focus on this. And I would love for there to be an emphasis in looking about what people of color are currently doing mm. now as well as a continuation. Because what I think it does, it gives us a link and a nod to this person was the first. So now this person can actually succeed and go and do. Yeah, I, I think I'm into it too. I think... My dream world, mm-hmm. Black history becomes a more integral part of 
history learning throughout the entire year for all of us. Mm -hmm. And yeah, sure. Why not spend February talking about Black futures, bringing that sort of work and current activism to the forefront? Like, why not? Like, that seems like a better use of like a month than just talking about MLK and Harriet Tubman Mm -hmm. for for in Frederick Douglass like once a year in mm. February. And what do you think that's going to do to the students of color as well? Cuz mm-hmm. I girl, I know you know. I know you already know what it's like talking about this particular topic even if you are not black. There's a certain level of like not pity but like oh man, slavery was hard. Aren't you glad we're on the other side of that? Cuz let me tell you, people of color are still being the first. Do you know what I mean? Even in 2021, we still have people of color who are still the first, and that is real. And so when I think we're able to have Black futures, I think we need to see that that progression. And I think it also gives hope, focus, and drive to minority students when their history is integrated without it. Because like I said, we can't have Black futures unless we take Black history and make that integral. Yeah. That's the caveat. Mm-hmm. Like, we yeah. don't get to have this one until we have that continuous linear history within schools. And then we can talk about the hope and the fruition. Because of this happened, now look. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I think that's absolutely right. And I think your point to it being important for all people of color and not just Black people is, is really really spot on. I do want to ask you before we talk more about like our toolkit and how we would love to see people taking action, would you feel comfortable talking about or sharing a little about your feelings specifically as a mixed Black woman and where you see yourself in either Black History or Black Futures Month? Mm. As a mixed I've always struggled because we talked about I am the result of colonization. Mm-hmm. Like if we did not have that, I would not exist. And so looking at that history, you are calm. I will put it this way. When teaching my daughter about slavery to Jim Crow, to civil rights, to what our Black future looks today. I have to show her videos of people who look a little bit more like me or her grandfather being hosed down and arrested by people who look like her father or her grandmother. Mm -hmm. It is very interesting. But as a mixed person, I've been able to say, I don't think I'm the hope or the future, but I'm the culmination of a lot of people's hopes and dreams as well. To where it is this mixture of being able to say there have been a lot of people who trailblazed and be able to make that place to where people had the freedom to to love and have acceptance, whoever they wanted to love and to and to accept. And I, even thinking about my parents who who married, even though they had to go to three different counties to find someone mm-hmm. who would actually marry them. Like they are a part of that history. And here I am today. And because of that. I was able to marry who I love, who happened to be white. It is a very mixture of emotions. I, I always have found it very difficult of like, where do I fit into that history? But that mm-hmm. also took digging as well. The more I realized that there are more figures out there who were mixed, who were very proud to be out there on the forefront, uh, leading for change has been inspired, has been inspiring. It's given me the the strength and the voice to be able to do a show like this and fight imposter syndrome every day. Just saying that even though this may be my reality of being a mixed woman, the way that I'm treated in this world, there's still injustice. And so it is a journey, like most things in any mixed person's life, you know, as you grow and you get to explore your identity, how things like Black History Month impact you will also change as well. So it has been something that has had complications, but something that's also been in empowering with the clarity and doing the homework and digging further into it. And once again, going to those unsung heroes, going for people who might not always make the list has been really impactful in my life and making it a continuous thing and not just a concentrated month. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I hope that made sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think it does because I think And this is something we've talked a lot about on the show, but probably can never talk enough about Mm. is like this, this weird pressure that we feel as mixed race people of like, how much of this identity can I claim? Mm -hmm. How much of it is me? Because there is not like a mixed race 
month, mixed race heritage month, because what would that even look like? Because we're all so different, right? We are. We are, we are. So this goes back to the idea of not being a half of anything, but being whole. Mm -hmm. And so I think when I lean into my wholeness as a black woman and as a white woman, I was able to enjoy these things a little bit more. I definitely had hesitations of sharing anything because once again, that, that fear of that pushback. But once again, when I realized how many people were mixed that were still very influential for, for the movement and still to today, that gave me encouragement and that empowered me, which is why taking up space and representation matters. So mm-hmm. I feel like I have every right to celebrate this month. I think my daughter has every right to celebrate this month while being mindful that my experience may be different. And it doesn't remove the years of schooling where I'm sure it was like on February 1st, mm-hmm. teacher was like, it's Black History Ugh. Month and the whole class looks at poor little Damika. <laughs> like, <laughs> It's not great. No. Well, and especially if you are different, if you, you know, people don't expect that of you or people don't classify you as that, you know, then that is is extra special difficult. You know, what what do I know about black history because I was in theater, because I was nerdy, dressed a little differently. It's it's that. It's not feeling like you even have a right or impact, like even just correcting a teacher about something that I was reading about black history. Like, where do you get off? I'm not the blackest person in the world, you know, in their, in their, in their opinion. So it's, it's challenged. I think that's why we say in our toolkit that we'll discuss about why it was so important and what we wish we would have learned. School is so instrumental in that. Of course, we want to talk about it being in the home. But especially for kids where they're spending a predominantly of like the most of their time is within that school realm as well. And so it's um, it is a journey. It is definitely a journey. But I am hearing the pushback. I am seeing it. We just have to keep making that voice louder. We have to keep kind of demanding that representation and making that space for everyone. Do you have any initial thoughts about what are some things you wish you had learned in school about Black history? Oh, well, I think. What we my main issue was just that it co alongside so many other histories, mm-hmm. yeah. That it's not, it is not a singular event of bringing other people with slavery because I think it would also would have helped me understand and reach out. I, we talk about gaps in our knowledge, and I knew so very little about even living in New Mexico, very little about indigenous history, very little about Asian history. And I think of being able to tie that and seeing the connections between them. That's one of the biggest ones of just seeing how this actually fits and getting my own timeline and being able to also have empathy and understanding towards other races more so than mine. I wish that so much more than than feeling more accepted in my own race, I think, is being able to understand other races as well. Mm. Mm-hmm. So what, what about you? I think it is a lot of the same of what you're saying. Like, I feel like, I mean, obviously, I could have learned more of all sorts of history in school than I actually did. But I also feel in many ways very fortunate about what I did learn mm. being like in these like sort of accelerated courses allowed me to be able to like learn more things about just to learn more because like the amount of information that was given to us was more so then they're like well if we can give more information I guess we can fit in these things about other races that aren't white Mm -hmm. you know but I think I think it would have been nice to have it a little bit more more spread out I think it would have been nice to have just some more framing about mm-hmm. about the world. Like, I think we get a lot of our history taught to us, like, the Founding Fathers is our history. Yeah. You know? Or ancient Greece is our <laughs> true history. And it's, like, actually, like, that bears little <laughs> influence, mm. you know, compared to other, other histories. So I think if there had been... A more inclusive framing of history, I think that would have served me well. And I was thinking a lot about that when I was reading Ibram Kendi's book. And I think he he talks about race and history. And part of the issue is that there are racial disparities, right? There's racial disparities today. And the question of why they exist are 
or or persist. And I think like that could very easily be, be part of the framing of how we learn about this country in school. And I think that 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 does involve Black history, that involves white history, that involves Indigenous history, that involves all of it. So I guess I, and this is less of a, a just an answer about Black history and more of an answer about history, but I think that's our point <laughs> throughout is that it's all interrelated. But I just would love to see an actual real world framing of history so children can really understand and students in school can understand how that history impacts our lives today. Because otherwise, it's just like, once again, back to the compartmentalization, it's just exists in the separate pocket of like, history. And then it's like, not not important. And you might not draw the connections to from history to why white people <laughs> typically have income levels that are 13 times higher than exactly, black people. Exactly. And I think I know we have to move on. But I do there are two points in that one of people hearing this wanting to make sure that black history is American history is that there's this fear of that erasure of white history. Because there has mm. been, yeah, right, like that that pushback. But once again, if we're making it integral and understanding that Black history is just history, period, there will not be this fear, because there's always fear anytime you start talking about integrating any other kind of group within history, or replacing figures, or taking down a monument, or saying that, hey, that's actually not the real story, it actually was a person of color, there's this pushback of fear if you erasure. And, and, and I think when we've realized that, when we talk about how they affect one another, how they intermingle, there will not have to be a fear of erasure, but a mm. fear of, you know, there should be this more hope of getting the story straight, of learning real history. And so if there's this pushback of fear of erasure, and then I feel like I'm like, well, I, I feel that that's kind of like a colonistic attitude right there. <laughs> like, I don't know how to put that in any other way. We're not trying to erase anything. We're simply trying to get the story straight. And so I want to make sure that that is very, very clear. I'm not asking for there to be a belittling or less of white European, and you know, in quotation marks, kind of history. I'm asking for there to be this inclusion of history in itself, in its totality, in this wholeness without having to separate these, these little bits and bobs in order to fit them in the, into the months right there. And, uh, and also realizing that I'm not, by any means putting any shade on my teachers that I had or any teachers that are currently teaching history. I realize that this is a bigger problem in saying like history teachers need to get on this of like as an education system, we have put like Danny said, like we think it's really important to know about Greek gods and pharaohs and things of that nature. And you know, it's we, we, we deem that to be important instead of realizing of how history and how it impacts us today and encouraging that critical thinking that we realize that there is a bigger overarch uh, arching issue of asking for history to be, like I said, less about dates and more about critical impact in our today life. Mm. I agree and disagree. Mm. Um, surprise, surprise. <laughs> well, this is why this works. Yes, to a certain extent, it's not about erasure, but it kind of is like there is only so much history you can learn in school and mm. i personally would rather learn less about greeks <laughs> the okay. ancient greeks and more about other cultures like i think about how we had a unit on ancient greek mythology in elementary school and then we had like a whole semester of it on history in middle school and then had like a whole section of it in world history in mm. high school and then even when I went to college it was one of two required history classes that I had to take for my core classes and then within theater history which I had to take for my major it was like a whole huge section of theater history. I was just taught it again and again and again, and it was like drilled into me. And for what purpose? I think it's, to me, I would rather spend less time drilling these things that don't, it is important in democracy and all mm -hmm. these things, right? But like, I just think that gets so much more attention than the civil rights era, which mm. I feel like more directly impacts my day-to-day -day life. So I, I'm not saying like 
history is is to be erased, but I think there really does need to be a value shift. Yes. And yes, and it's it's the same with like ending white supremacy. Sorry, but it's going to cost you something, white people, to mm-hmm. end these things. And yes, you're going to lose some of the things we're talking about in school. Like, it's going to all of a sudden not be about you. So yes, in a sense, you are losing something. But you have to think about what you're gaining also, right? Mm. Like, it's not... You can't just align yourself with with only having white history like what is that serving in your life i think it's a bigger thing that people need to reckon with and i am less inclined to placate those people by saying i don't want erasure like instead i'm saying no you need to look at yourself and see why this erasure problem is a problem for you well i think when i say erasure i think when i think it's like you said that that shift that infant like emphasis i have no problem learning about the greeks and things of that nature like i said but it's the emphasis that we put on it like what does that have to do with me today because outside of democracy they're they're done but you're right the fear of it is something that has to be really addressed like people's fear of that and i think it's almost like well how does that make you feel that's interesting that you're really afraid of being erased yeah, because it's like it's fine to erase to have erased everyone else for years and years and years, but like as soon as you lose a little bit of footing, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a problem. Like mm. I don't know. No, it's an issue. That's why I'm saying it can't be put on the actual teachers in the class. Where I feel like as as a whole of what we're demanding and what we're making acceptable on these exams and tests and to get degrees that in itself needs to change like it's such a massive massive issue of what we think deemed to be acceptable knowledge in order to be a functioning educated human being is very interesting yeah before we move away from history and black history can we talk a little bit about the gates of freedom yes what are your thoughts on it do we need to give a little bit of background of, of what it is and who Angela Davis is? Do people know? I hope they know. <laughs> well, once again, the emphasis are people, I mean, amazing poet, speech writer, activist, I mean, style icon. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> at least for well, me. It's tr- no, it's true, though. Like, how often is, like, just the silhouette of her depicted mm-hmm. as, you know, like an icon? Yeah, at least for me. I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to downgrade her whatsoever. But yeah, I think we uh, as one of our tools, we have a, a speech by her that I think would be really interesting. Oh, it's one of those things that like you had mentioned it and I realized I had not read it in in ages and but I do remember one of the ongoing themes that we talked about the relevancy of figures even in the past still being relevant to today um I think that was such a great piece to suggest because I think there are issues and themes that she speaks about in the gates of freedom that are still going on to today and in fact actually there was I had to look it up of talking about the the condition of brown and black people and comparing them to the condition of a prisoner. And we talk about that, that holding of the key of wealth and and technology and being Mm -hmm. based upon and unlocking that. And I feel like so much today, I mean, I feel like you could have literally like Amanda Gordon, the one, the beautiful poet laureate who was at the inauguration, I feel like she could have literally read this verbatim and it would have been just as fresh and it would have been just as applicable. It would have, you know, there it would have not been dated, I feel. And I, and mm-hmm. I think like, A, that's amazing writing in itself. B, we talked about how we feel like these things are in the past and they're really not. <laughs> we still have a long way to go. And I think this is going to be a really great resource and talking point for our toolkit this month. Mm. There's a few reasons why it has such staying power, right? One, significant change still needs to happen in our society. Two, she even talks about throughout this idea of being imprisoned, whether it be literally or metaphorically, is this vicious cycle. It's almost impossible to escape it, which I think is absolutely true. And she really plays up this idea where our liberation to break free of the cycle is tied up in the ability to open those gates and get keys into the hands of as many people as possible. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, 
that rings is particularly true and particularly important in any sort of social justice work. But when we're talking about a lot of the things that we're talking about on the show regarding race and change, that it's an important reminder that it's like not work that we can do alone. Mm -hmm. And in order for momentum to be sustained, it has to be increased which may be a direct quote. She says something along those lines in the speech. I I think it's beautiful work. And I think that is ongoing encouragement and ongoing motivation for, I don't want to speak for you, Danny, but at least for me, this is like putting keys into people's hands in order. And that's why we always say to take up space. That's why we say there's always work to do. And I think when we say the word keys, I don't know about you, Danny, but that has multiple meanings for me when we talk about people being both physically and metaphorically imprisoned. Within the speech, there talks a lot about the difference between like poverty as well. And we talk about the these gaps. And that's where social justice comes in, is that it's not a blanket statement. Like, I'm not going to be necessarily 100% happy just to have like, you know, e- equality for women. But to me, like, once again, what's the heart of that? We talked about capitalism being at the heart of a lot of that. We talk about the patriarchy being a lot of the heart of the issues. And I think once again, that's all echoed very succinctly. It's very relatable in that as a woman of color and hearing that. And I think it has you to reflect of where you can possibly be in prison and and looking around at those of how also you can possibly put keys in other people's hands. I think sometimes in social justice work, you, I think you have to constantly get out of your own oppression and where you feel not short change, but where you do feel that oppressive, where you can't do, but also immobilize yourself to realize what you can do and your place mm. and your power. I think sometimes as a minority group, I can get caught up in my own oppression and forget that I do have ways and I do have a power and I do have a voice. And how am I putting keys in other people's hands so that way we can amplify ourselves and and get past and work towards this conditioning of feeling less than and feeling mm. othered. And how can we push ourselves and, and push towards change? And I don't know. I think that's what I think that's what a movement is. You mm-hmm. have, a, a movement is not a single person going through water. You know, have you ever seen like a huge boat parting the water in, in the front of it? I mean, that's a movement. That's what it takes. It takes size. It takes push. It takes that's what it looks like. And I don't know. I, I think people uh, I get hyphy when I, don't, <laughs> I get so excited about it. But I think that's what it takes when you're in any kind of work of like this. Yeah, and she does talk a lot about about those sorts of things specifically, like this idea that going back to these metaphorical prisons mm-hmm. that we find ourselves in, that we get locked up with these mental frustrations and manipulations of the ugliness of all of these things, racism, poverty, all these things, and we're we're stuck in this and really a key for that one thing we can do is start our dreaming and our visioning and our pursuit of knowledge. And once we start moving in that way, it's natural that we we start to long for and grasp at these keys, right? So mm-hmm. I think I think it's twofold. It's like there's work that needs to be done individually in order to to be part of that movement. And I think that's a lot of what we're saying with this toolkit and with the show in general is like, please be working on yourself, doing your own research, your own thought, your own discussions so that you can translate these things into the world. Mm. Well, that's Black Future, isn't it? I think that's heading towards Black Future. It's helping people not if we just focus on the past, it's so easy to get trapped in that prisoner i mean there was one book i read ages ago about that slave mindset of why bother the world is against me but i think that's why looking towards black future brown future mixed future is a huge key Uh we also have to empower other people to do the same and not be afraid and sometimes people need help with that yeah, part of that and part of this idea of Black Futures as well is is this idea of other people's success isn't detrimental to your success, mm. rather. It's like it's like a snowball effect, right? Like the more people we can get to be yeah. successful, the more successful we'll all be. Like they're gonna take us with them. So let's let's all push together. Exactly, exactly. I mean, we I think we talked about this. Oh, gosh, what episode was it where it's like, if we can open the door for people to care and integrate black future, don't you think brown future? Don't you think right, our, you brown know, future right. is going to be yeah. 
pouring in right behind that. Exactly. Know? Do you not think why we why would we bang down a door if not to keep it wide open? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've used this metaphor before, too, but it's like getting a seat at the table is not mm-hmm. enough for me. I got to no. bring extra chairs exactly. so that other people can get a seat with me. Mm-hmm. So that and, and this is why we wanted to take that time to talk about this particular topic. It's not it's so much bigger than just saying it's a short month where we talk about the same three black people all over again. It is so, so much bigger. Yeah. Agreed. Along our lines of Black history, <laughs> shall we get mad? I I thought we were already kind of. We mad, are, but we are, like... but ready, ready, get ready for all new levels of mad, Jamaica. <laughs> Let's do this. <laughs> All right. So in the name of Black History Month, Uh, I'm sure there are many teachers and parents and people out there using the Google, a lovely tool and a terrible tool to find the answer to how to celebrate Black History Month. mm. We came across a, a list, which for some reason, the URL and the title don't match. (laughs) <laughs> which I find a little disturbing. It is, well, I don't think we'll share it because no, I don't want to no. drive traffic to their no, site. Don't do it. But essentially, it's it's a list for educators on ways to celebrate Black History Month. Mm. Um, and there are, there are some good, good suggestions, albeit generic <laughs> suggestions and there are some that are really disturbing so i want to share some of these these that i find particularly disturbing and yes. hear what you think about it yes. i've shared a couple but there's some that might be brand new to you that i didn't share when we initially found this article yes she was saving it just to make me mad so yeah all right um here's this is number one mm. on the list just to get us started Bring art and history together by recreating civil rights freedom movement posters. Mm. Review them with your students. Have them get into groups and create their own. Mm. Well, I can't imagine how that could go wrong or be misinterpreted, Danny. No, no. <laughs> I mean, this one to me is right up there with uh, a couple of other suggestions of turning your classroom into a living museum where you have your students dress up as a notable Black pioneer mm-hmm. or recreating a Black family's journey using the Green Book. See, I don't mind the living museum one nearly as much as creating a Black family's journal because it's like you're versed in the Black experience. Mm hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think it's along the same lines why that one is like a little bit bothering me is because this in the suggestion, they will be sharing what they've learned and taking questions from their classmates as as this historical Uh, figure. So I think that that makes me a little uncomfortable. Yeah. And who's to say how far they'll go with trying to look like that? Yeah, I mean, that's another thing. That's the red flag for me. Yeah, hopefully there's some parameters. Like, there's some good ones, like decorating your classroom door, like, definitely something you should do. Reading books with Black characters, like, obviously. Yeah, that's reading. my favorite. I think you should be doing that anyway. But, you know, it's neither here nor yeah. there. Those things don't make me angry, but learning the art of stepping <laughs> makes me feel a little uncomfortable. I mean, so I should, I should. Big, big asterisks here. Yes. Like, I feel like if you're bringing in a guest artist to work with the students, that's one thing. Yes. If if you're just, like, pulling up some videos and then having the students, like, just have at it, like, that makes me really uncomfortable. Yes. Once again, it's that line between appreciation and appropriation. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think this particular list is just tap dancing all over that. It's also doing a little samba. It's doing a little macarena. It is just just curb stomping this. Like, instead of appreciating and learning why step is important, it's just if you're putting on a YouTube video and then having your class repeat it, I, I'm sorry, boo boo. 
that's not okay with me. Yeah, exactly. The thought that without any cultural context, you can just like watch a video and learn how to do it. It really just rubs me very, very wrong. Mm. It's not great. It's not my favorite. No, Mm -hmm. there's some good things. There's some bad things. But the fact that like, I would just worry that some well-intentioned white educator comes across this list and just does things. So, Mm. so my, I I don't know. That's, I think what makes me mad is like the thought of these things happening in a bad way in a classroom from someone who's well-intentioned and just didn't know any better. That is true. And I think not only just educators, but like you said, like parents who might be trying to, especially there's still a lot of like homeschooling going on or hybrid learning. I think just asking those questions of like, how does this highlight, amplify and encourage a a black voice? Like, who is this really for? Is this something I can integrate throughout? There's just like very few questions that you can ask to make this list a little bit more palatable. Like there's some I think that the idea should just burn. But there are some like with a little bit of work, this could actually be very beneficial towards students. But it just makes me mad because every single year there is something like this. And it just it, it, it taints the whole experience. And it gives me like the icks thinking about there's elementary school kids somewhere dressed up like 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 Mr. Douglas or trying to stomp the yard. And that's they feel like they understand the black experience. And that's just. Ugh. Yeah, I think we're we're all about the being exposed to different cultures and understanding it but we are not about the appropriation or the like very base surface level Mm. (laughs) appreciation of a culture and if you have to ask then maybe you shouldn't do that activity yeah (laughs) just just a rule of thumb i'm not going to tell you how to do your job but i'm also going to slightly tell you how to do your job Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, I'm sorry if that leaves a, <laughs> a bad taste in your but mouth. I'm like, there's just, I keep drinking water. I'm like, ugh, I just, ugh. there's just this beautiful opportunity. And I respect educators so, so much. And I get so upset when I feel like they're not given the chance or the resources. Some of them, I know some of them, you know, they don't care. And I'm going to be, to not think that that doesn't exist would be very naive of me. But sometimes I'm like, they're just not given the resources or the time to be able to do the things that they want. And I don't know. Ugh. It makes me, it makes me mad. Thus, the segment. Yes. Let's just uh, totally flip this on its head Mm. and let's let's get happy. What's making you happy this week, Tamika? It is, I'm not going to lie, it's been a very rough week to be happy. So, and it makes me sound very ungrateful, but I will say- No, that's the reality (laughs) of where we live in this world. Like, I don't think, I don't think you owe it to anyone to be grateful, (laughs) you know? (laughs) But with that, I had to really sit and think about what was really making me happy. And the most basic answer is showers. Hmm. I know it's it's like here's the thing I'm not gross guys I'm not gross but I grew up mostly in the desert where water is scarce and a big family with like at one time we only had one bathroom so like people who take like two showers a day uh, my husband when we first met like or you shower every day that was not my thing and if I did shower when I shower let me use these words (laughs) if I showered gross gross kid when i shower it was for function even with this hair like it was just in out and on my way like i'm clean i'm done i just never enjoyed the experience because shower takes time and time is of the essence and time is precious and i don't need to spend all my time in there and as i got older and you never get a moment to yourself especially this last year i have taken showers as like a very moment of like calm and like hype myself back up for whatever and so I've had like this 90s late 90s early 2000s rap R&B playlist that comes with me and I take a shower and I actually like enjoy the hot water um, like splurged and got like a really good soap 
and you know what I mean like just to make the experience of like you're okay like not mom not wife not activist not working just clean sculpt yourself until life feels a little bit better so <laughs> showers showers have been made me very happy showers are good I'm I'm a bath person which mm. we've we've talked about before but I think it's like it's a similar impulse mm-hmm it's just, uh, it's just water and you just feel there's clarity and relaxation. And yeah, so I, I probably still take like my, I, like I'll come out of the shower. My husband's like, are you already done? I'm like, I feel like I was in there for eternity. Like, <laughs> so I, to me, I still feel like I like, it should not be in there for that long, I guess. But to him, she's like, right, is that it? I'm like, I'm clean, aren't I? So yes, now everyone thinks I'm like a filthy hermit. But I'm just, water, water is important. <laughs> but what, outside of everyone knowing my bathing habits, Danny, what's, what's making you happy? Um, so I'm going to take us back to Soupcast. Yes, I've missed Soupcast. <laughs> so uh, what's making me happy this week is, it's just a nice warm bowl of pozole. Oh. So good. I mean, you know, warm soup. It's also recently started becoming warm here, which is a little jarring. Mm. But at least when I eat pozole, it feels like winter. (laughs) (laughs) And I can pretend that climate change isn't slowly (laughs) or quickly killing us all. I love like both for happy places are just places of denial of what's going on. Yeah, I'm sure I I'm sure I say that now and then there's going to be like a freak snowstorm in between recording this and releasing this I in cannot, like I cannot 5 wait. days and people are going to be like what are you talking about it's snowy. <laughs> like no, remember <laughs> 5 days ago when it was when it was really warm. But yeah, like a nice bowl of pozole and then the spiciness feels good and because it has gotten warm randomly my allergies are a wreck. So like pushing all that stuff out is mm. good. I'm all I'm all about it. Oh, my best friend. Uh, I guess it snowed a, a little while ago in Albuquerque because climate yes, change. Yes, like a week ago. Yeah. Yes. So he sent me a very detailed, slanderous video <laughs> of him making pasole. I was so mad because it looked so good. Like I <laughs> was, I was upset to near tears because it's been so long since I've had such like legitimate, really good pasole, and I'm like, I need to make it. I need to make it. But it's just different. When someone else makes it for you, it just tastes mm, better. So. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like a legit cook too, right? Like yeah. he's like very talented. Yeah, so like, of course you're like, I just want to eat that. Yeah. He makes me really like we constantly trade back recipes. If We've actually low key talked about doing a food podcast mm. of like black food. And it was just it, it is like his him and his whole family are amazing. I'm always I'm not a bad cook. But I'm always very intimidated to cook for for him and for his family because it's just like, what am I going to bring to these people? <laughs> so I was very, <laughs> very, very upset. Oh, I'm so glad uh, we brought back Soupcast because I was trying to design stickers and I low-key thought about doing like a bowl of soup. <laughs> <laughs> I love soup. <laughs> we love, love soup. We're big, big fans of soup. Yes. On that note, we should wrap it up. Mm-hmm. So... Thank you all for listening. I hope that you're all checking out the toolkit. Any thoughts or feedback on that or this week's episode, you can direct to us either via email biracialunicorns at gmail.com or you can find us on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook at biracialunicorns and we are on Twitter at biracialmagic. We want to say a huge thank you to Dahlia Pop Art who's done our very iconic unicorn one and actually I think she just opened up a little shop where she has cute art pieces and stickers so go head over to her check out her instagram look at her shop buy her stuff and at her i'm gonna be i'm being very firm i also want to give a huge shout out to joseph scott who's done our amazing intro and outro music and also to the lovely so smith photography who's done some photos for us yeah please uh also if you have time along with this material not only do we want you to share this material we want you to review this material please it would mean so much to us if you can go and rate our show and give us like highest marks of wherever you're listening to and also just give us a review we love hearing from you guys and that helps us out Mm -hmm. 
And if you aren't really one for writing, you can also leave us a voicemail at 505-585-1808. I feel like we should have like one of those little white bouncing balls, like going over (laughs) the the numbers and things of that nature. So I just got like mad 80s flashbacks. I love it. (laughs) <laughs> that's i'm a product of the era what can i say I love that. or like one of those blue screens where it's like we're like the little sub screen and they're just like for just three payments of 19.99 call us that it was like the perfect number like cadence it was perfect yes i'm i'm working on a production with a group of my my college students so all different ages but they've all been really excited about the prospect of like an 80s influence in this this production and i'm like is this coming from you or is it just because i'm here <laughs> like what does is it matter but does it matter where it's coming from as long as you're updating me about it it's true it's true all right y'all we gotta we gotta wrap this up <laughs> but thank you for joining us and we will be back next week with a mini-sode and in two weeks with another full episode mm-hmm. All right, y'all. Peace. Out.